The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. How's it going, everyone? This is yours truly, Cameron Fry coming at you. It's Good Friday, April 15th, 3 p.m. Central Time. Enjoying the day off. Hope you guys are enjoying the extended weekend festivities. Wherever you may be, I hope you're finding peace and rest in a very unique season. So I'll just cut straight to the chase. There's not going to be any life updates today. Uh, Really, today is about a continuation of an annual tradition one of my favorite times of year is the month of April because more often than not, that is Easter month. And with it, uh, the preparation of my annual Easter post. Uh, and each year I try to find a different facet, uh, one that is, I suppose, a road less taken in the blog sphere. <laughs> uh, some unique angles. Nothing's new under the sun, mind you, but some things that maybe aren't as accessible, haven't been tapped into, at least from a published standpoint. So what I like to do is just trace through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and note some comparisons between the crucifixion and resurrection accounts. And I'm looking for something to just leap out that I haven't really noticed before, just something that really speaks and resonates with my spirit, depending on the year, because each year is its own, each season is its own. And what I kept coming back to wasn't necessarily a specific verse, but a general idea of what Jesus was teaching in his final moments, uh, what his life was expressing, you know, as he was yielding to the Father and fulfilling his call, (laughs) if you will, um, you know, completing the other side of the incarnation, he was letting his life speak in some pretty profound ways. And so the title of this piece is going to be Master Messiah, the final lessons of Jesus, where we explore not one, not two, but three not so much teaching like Sermon on the Mount type stuff, but just um, practices and principles that are relatable today that we can take with us. Things that Jesus did during his last day of life, essentially. (laughs) What are some properties, some characteristics and traits that we can take away and apply to our day-to-day? And that's really really it. It's just that the last day of Jesus' life and how it applies to the day-to-day of ours. So, again, we'll just jump in. Let me quickly say a word of prayer. We'll be on our way. Lord, we thank you for this special time. We thank you for that. so much going on in the world today that we can come and celebrate and commemorate uh, your life and what you came to do um, from the manger to the cross to Calvary uh, to curing our salvation, our redemption, reconciling yourself to man so we could have eternal home in heaven and uh, no relationship with you. Uh, without limit. We are indebted to you forever. And just this grand and glorious time of communion, uh, we just want this time, this podcast to be extension of that communion piece, to bring our hearts to the table 
and just overflow with gratitude of what you've done and what you continue to do and what the cross means for us today. You know, I say it often, it's not just a one-time thing that we celebrate and look back to, but we, um, we rejoice that the cross can be before us each and every day that we live and have breath. So may this be an extension of that holiness. <laughs> so we give you all the glory and praise. Amen. All right, so when we reflect on the Easter story, we often dwell on the cross and its aftermath. We consider Jesus' final moments, the empty tomb, and the ascension, sealing the end of Jesus' first coming. But while we give much attention to the Jesus' death and resurrection, and for good measure, it's the greatest climax the world has ever known, one must not forget the lead-up to Jesus' conviction and crucifixion. What was happening the moments he was being condemned? And even, you know, again, the, the hours leading up to that arrest, it's, it's all worth exploring, excavating in detail. True, Jesus took the nails for our transgressions, paid our ransom in blood, and secured our freedom with the keys from hell. We talked about Holy Saturday a couple of years ago. Um, and we even talked about just the manger cross connection, a separate year. Why Pilate washed his hands in blood? I've tackled a lot of different nuances um, or facets of the Easter story. But again, when we look at what Jesus was doing, not just overall, but at the surface, there's some really key takeaways. He offered some crucial reminders on how we're to present to the Father, for instance, during life's greatest trials, when we feel betrayed, abandoned, even abused. So as we prepare for the ultimate remembrance in a couple days, may we heed and receive these final lessons of Jesus, our Master Messiah. First lesson I want to talk about how to overcome verbal abuse. How to come over how to overcome verbal abuse. For those familiar with the gospel culmination, we know Jesus was accused, mocked, and beaten, just to name a few, before dying a criminal's death ahead of his vindication. Yet what's sometimes lost in translation. What's lost in such assessments is the verbal nature of Christ's abuse. While Jesus was accustomed to being misunderstood from the origins of his ministry, thinking of what he was doing in the synagogues in his hometown to his triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, the assault taken as he carried the cross is worth noting. First, imagine bleeding to death, muscles exposed, your beard ripped out, a scarlet robe dangling from reclotting wounds, all the while carrying a hundred-pound wooden crossbeam two miles to your execution site. That's crazy intense to think about. Sometimes we, we have these pictures in our mind, these mental portraits, if you will, of what Jesus' suffering looked like, and we... If anything, we undersell it. We undermine it. We don't fully understand. I mean, even the Passion of the Christ, rewatching that, um, that's, you know, that goal is probably more realistic, but still, we don't see in full what those people saw in real time when that was, when Jesus was dying, when he was being flogged, having to carry that cross on his shoulders. Certainly, you know, again, I, I, I think, the best way to, to capture the cross is the climax of humanity and, and not just the cross, but all, whatever happens soon after. The repercussions, the ripple effect. 
Jesus' death and resurrection had. Um, eternal implications. I mean, how many things have eternal implications? But yeah, just, just go back in time. Like almost imagine yourself being a side viewer on the street watching all this and just seeing that exposure. And then you, <laughs> you have the physical element and then compound that with venomous falsehoods being spewed at you, cracking your spirits simultaneously. Words don't do it justice. Modern day recreations can only go so far. Those some scenes in an increasingly technological era making more valiant efforts. But we go back to just Jesus' life. He cultivated habits of not taking offense from a young kid even. That doesn't mean that there weren't certain ideas and temptations crossing his mind at this juncture. Who really knows what was going on outside of what was recorded for posterity? I mean, it's one thing to be mistaken as your praise. It's another to be scorned as you're dying. Like um, Miracle Me once wrote, I can only imagine. Still, even with the weight of the cross on his shoulders, the cross was still before Jesus. Despite that brutal onslaught of ridicule, Jesus with fading strength knew these people not only represented the very thing he came to die for, but also what future generations would continue to do. And this gets into some personal conviction. Specifically, what we do in secret and subdued fashion tacks on to this moment. In times of misjudgment, we react out of confusion and anger. Our frustration boils over. We get super anxious. We start to doubt subconsciously that Jesus is who he says he is. And then from there, you can imagine what happens next. We take matters into our own hands. We curse our troubles as if the victory in Calvary never happened. We compartmentalize and isolate Jesus from the equation. And I, and I know an insult to fallenness before us is different than a personal attack. A lot of times, you know, we blow our issues up or we take something that is only skin deep and we, we think we're being persecuted. There's a lot of layers of verbal abuse, and that's what I don't want us to get lost, or what I want, I don't want that to get lost in the conversation here. I know a lot of us have been, have received hurtful comments in our past, and we believe some of them. And we build these false narratives in our heads because of, you know, false beliefs even from the, um, some of the word curses we received um, that were lashed out in our direction. And some of them took, some of them deflected, but we don't know how to respond to it. But Jesus gives us the template on how to respond, you know, and, and what better way to model that than when you're dying, when, you know, you would think that, uh, okay, this is it for me. Um, who I am is really going to shine through in this moment. A lot of times we break in the face of death. We we self-preserve. We... Um, there's almost a whole different person that rises up and tries to, to, to save ourselves. And Jesus wasn't looking to do that. He, was all, he knew what he needed to do. He, he was so focused on loving us by saving us. He didn't just take it. I mean, he, <laughs> we'll get to this moment in a moment, but he prays, you know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that tells you everything you need to know about Jesus in that particular moment. But yeah, Jesus' fading strength 
he knew that it wasn't just what he was receiving in the moment, but he also could feel the weight of other people centuries and millenniums down the line doing the same thing. And we should be able to identify with that. If, if we're honest with ourselves, we should come to the table of the Lord and identify with those who basically thought Jesus was not who he said he was, was an imposter, was a fake. There's, there's only so many ways you can think of Jesus. I suppose the relatability from present to past is what grips me. The idea we, though millenniums apart, played a key role in Jesus' death, the future weight of our sins notwithstanding. Like those who cast their slides on the first Good Friday, we too must confess the times we failed to identify our Lord as Savior amidst our struggles. Not to mention the times we've undermined his authority by not taking captive what he took captive 2,000 years ago. Of course, we've been forgiven and restored, and that's awesome. Why not learn from Jesus by turning the other cheek when we're derided and declaring his sovereignty during suffering? But again, look at the big picture. The world is looking to us if they know that we're a believer. When the world interrogates our faith, wondering if we truly believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for our deliverance, our life should speak with or without the words. Even though we can't control what others say or think, we can love by an unwavering standard to deflect offense, Luke 23, 34 style, while stealing ourselves to pray. Again, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Bottom line, Jesus was cursed, but was not crushed in the face of verbal abuse. As for us, like Peter, we may renounce Jesus in word or in thought, but this doesn't mean we can't return to him and stand firm in persecution when it happens in the wake of verbal assault for what we believe in, for doing the right thing and living above reproach. Second lesson, how to pray amidst anxiety. Between the Last Supper and Jesus' arrest, we know Jesus goes to Gethsemane for one last communion with the Father. I've talked about this a couple of times on his Girl Friday. And this was a time during which he asked God not once, but twice for the cup of his wrath be removed. Speaking of God's wrath. Anxious to the point of sweating blood. Hematohydrosis, I believe is what it's called. He, he cries out in desperation, longing for God's nearness and assurance of his will. If there was any possibility of an alternative salvation plan, now was the time to reveal. Yet even in anguish, a lamb among wolves, Jesus stood firm, modeling one last lesson to disciples before his betrayal. Matthew 26 is a good case study on this. Verse 36, when Jesus asked his followers to sit and watch as opposed to incorporating them in group prayer. Yeah, you think that, you know, hey, let's all gather around the campfire one last time. Um, hold the hands and let's all be on the same page here. But no, Jesus was not in that zone. He needed that one-on-one with the Father. He likely didn't need that one-on-one with his disciples or really that group prayer session under the circumstances. But this didn't mean Jesus was cavalier concerning what the 12 would witness. I mean, if you look at uh, a couple of verses later, Jesus charges matures from sit and watch in verse, in verse 38 to watch and pray in verse 41 in a final effort to encourage them. Just because I'm not physically with you doesn't mean you can't participate with me. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, but fear and faint not, for I long to take comfort with you as the comforter preps his homecoming. Until then, join in, stay with me, keep watch, though my enemies are lurking, though evil abounds. Taste and see one last time. You don't have to be overcome because I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. 
bottom line here, although Jesus was, a, was in great despair at Gethsemane, he used this emotion to steer him into the Father, showcasing the epitome of reliance in the process. He wanted his disciples to see what he was doing. If I can do this to the point of death, so can you. Sweating blood. I'm at the end of my rope. The Son of Man. Someone who has never sinned having these questions and bring them before the Father. It's okay to do that. It's okay to make sure you're on the same page with God. Is this your will? Are you sure there's not another plan? Okay, great. It's not questioning God's authority, but just wanted to make sure that, okay, have you led me to a certain point or a certain point? Like, is there an audible here? Have you led me by grace under a certain heading? Is, is the heading supposed to say the course? How do I stay on course with God? That's really what Jesus is doing in Gethsemane. But along the way, how to pray during great anxiety. Final lesson, how to believe on the go. Following Jesus' death and descent into hell, we note an almost anticlimactic return to start Matthew 28. Rereading this in verse 3, one would think the description of the angels would have been assigned to Jesus. A glowing depiction of those angels, and yet we don't really get that fluff with Jesus. There was no grand entrance. Jesus just shows up. Just like his triumphal entry, you find Jesus applying the symmetry in verse 7 as the angels tell the Marys, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you. I want you guys listening to bold, he is going before you because that is the heart of this point. And I know it seems like a random pivot, but just let that sink in a little bit. During the final days of Jesus, his life message to his followers in part was a progression of hope. For a, for, for a short time, I was with you. Then I went before you to seal the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. And now I am going back before you one last time before taking my place on the right, uh, right side of the Father. So like him, like my spirit, I could be among you. That's the progression of hope, going before us so he could be among us. As long as we're on this road, eventually we're going to be with, like literally with him, seeing him face to face. But until then, that among us is the sweet intimacy that we should all crave and want to be a part of our lives. It's interesting as much play we give to Christ's sacrifice and redemption, and rightfully so, the education, the whole account never stopped. Until the end of his human tenure, Jesus was steadfast to reinforce our corporate calling. Number one, to love one another as a people covered in grace, secured in freedom, strengthened by faith. And number two, to inspire unity and resolve to know he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. To the Marys, the disciples, and future generations to come, this is why he came back. To make sure we, scattered as we might be, could understand the truth. That as we go tell it on the mountain, the streets, at work, the most hostile environments, as Christ is in us, God is with us, as in heaven, so on earth. And the bottom line here, while Christ's death allowed him to take the keys to the kingdom, it also served as a reminder to generations of the believers to come. Since I have overcome the world, I could be with you and among you simultaneously. That is why I, as your forerunner, Hebrews 6.20, will never stop going before you as you learn to teach my ways to the ends of the earth, to the ends of time. So, applying that to our own lives, 
letting Jesus be our forerunner as we're on the go. As crazy fast-paced we might be, we can't get ahead of God. We should want who we believe in to be before us at any given point. So sometimes it just means slowing down and stilling ourselves and knowing that he is God amidst our circumstances. Certainly there was a lot going in or probably flooding the disciples' minds even when they saw Jesus and they're like, oh my gosh, it's you, you're back. Hooray! Like I'm sure there was so much excitement in the air when they were meeting again during that great commission scene. But I do think it should be part of our prayer arsenal, our prayer tool belt, if you will. Lord, I desire to take action. I'm speaking at a personal conviction here, and I'm sure it might relate to you. I desire to take action and to be proactive. But I can only be so proactive as far as I allow you to go before me. And I pray that specifically that you will do that, and that you will make your paths straight so that I will know and almost find myself watching you establish my steps as I'm stepping upon them. Like almost like you're painting the yellow brick road for me to follow. I'm not painting it for you. I'm not painting it for anyone else or, for my, or even for myself. But I'm slowing my world to let you go ahead. And there's repercussions, you know, emotional control, being able to um, have an out when you feel so overcome with grief or anguish, despair, anxiety, anger, even pride. I mean, and fear in all its forms. Um, it's like, okay, I know how to retreat in this moment with God for a couple seconds, for a couple minutes or longer. I know how to step out of the chaos into communion and then calibrate in that communion and then step back into the chaos and knowing God is with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me with the mind of Christ. I got this. And that's what I want us to know as vocationals, but also just as people, brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of what we do, we are unified. And the the Easter time is so sweet because of that, because there's a there's so much being reinforced and brought to the surface, to the forefront of our minds. But I just want to encourage you, within that forefront, let God, let, let Jesus as your forerunner be among the ways you see him this year. Because again, there's so much going on. You talk about World War Three and the continuation uh, of the pandemic and just the, you know, I know we feel like it's coming to an end, but it's still technically ongoing. And there's still a lot of questions um, in the health industry and, um, you know, the implications of what the pandemic has meant for us um, occupationally. Uh, and there's just so much divide in the air and it's, it's seeped into the family nature. And it just seems like there's not a lot of safe place. There's not a lot of safe places anymore. <laughs> and as they are almost being wiped off the map, we can know to an even greater degree our God as a place of refuge, a safe place. In, in years past, when maybe things were a little bit more simple, <laughs> um, it was easy for that to be marginalized. And now I feel like it's coming out from that place, from under the carpet. And we have a chance to know God in a fresh way as our refuge. Christ is our forerunner without it being as marginalized. Silver lining. I mean, I'm, I'm not reaching here. I, to me, it's 
a key silver lining in this time that we're in this decade, this year. So I don't know. That's just where I'm at this Easter. And I just wanted to share these thoughts with you. Like, of course, there's more lessons. I would love to hear from you. What other lessons are you gathering, you know, that pertain to the final teachings and lessons of Jesus? I'm not talking about, again, um, actual sermon synagogue moments here, but just Jesus letting his life speak during his final breaths, his final hours on the face of the earth. Love to hear from you as always. Listen, I, um, we're always on standby. You know, the Juby thing is still ongoing. I'll have an, a more specific, detailed update on that during our next pod. But just know we always welcome messages, texts, however you want to, you know, comments, however you want to dialogue with us. We're going to be here for you. So as always, know you got this Christ in you and we'll catch you on the fry. Peace.